Rejection most times is the redirection we need to unlock our truest potential. Life puts us in some uncomfortable and unexpected situations despite our efforts and plans. So how do we look at failures as opportunities? How do we deal with life's uncertainties, identify some losses as wins, all while not labeling ourselves as total losers or failures? You'll find out right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. Welcome to another episode of Redirection with Terry Carell. I'm your host, Terry Carell. How is everyone doing? Like, how is the new year treating you? And are you sticking to those resolutions? I don't know about you. I don't really do the whole resolutions thing and I still haven't really gotten the concept of doing uh, resolutions. But what I have decided is that my word that would define 2021 for me is structure. And that means that everything that I think of, everything that I do, I will actually apply structure, which actually makes my guest today perfect. And I'll explain and introduce her to you in just a bit. But as usual, I just want to thank the community for always showing up for me. You know, those of you who go out of your way, especially if you have iPhones, right, to rate and review the show. Thank you very much. For those of you who take the time across social media to use the hashtag redirection with TK, I see you and I appreciate you. And finally, to those who go a little step further, you know, and they subscribe and they share redirection with Terry Carell with others. Um, thank you because you, you basically expand and help to grow the tribe. Um, and as usual at the top of the show, what I tend to do is I try to pick out one or two messages that the persons have sent me in the week. And the one that definitely stood out for me comes from NatServe one. And she said, hi, Terry, I've been meaning to touch base with you last week but was in a bad place emotionally. One week and a day ago, I lost one of my best friends. On December 31st, I subscribed to Spotify on his behalf only so he could listen to your podcast. He died unexpectedly on January 5th, but not before you were able to inspire him and allowed him to redirect his life. It's a long story, but he lost his leg last year to diabetes. was pretty down, but I told him about your podcast told him he had to listen to Dr. Floyd Morrison's episode first. I believe it changed his perception on his disability. I'm happy you were able to help him redirect and renew his passion for life before he passed. Thank you so very much. By the way, I'm a Jamaican listening to you every week from New York. And this message really um, had me in tears because I lost someone who I loved dearly January 3rd. And so on behalf of the community, I just want to say that we love you. We're sending light and love and condolences, not just to you, but to his family as well. And thank you so very much for even considering me and my podcast um, just to kind of pour into him, even if it was his last um, time on earth. And I just want to thank you very much for taking the time to send such a beautiful message. It really resonates with me and it reminds me of why I should continue to do something like this. So again, NatServe1. Thank you. And again, we're so very sorry for your loss. 
Now, remember when I said earlier that the word for 2021, my word for 2021 is structure. And I told you that it made perfect sense for me to have this particular guest. Well, I said for 2021, I need to build out a team. Like I need to get a team to assist me to scale up and to to really expand my brand. And believe it or not, it wasn't a content creator that came first or a personal assistant or a virtual assistant. It was actually an accountant. And I turned to one person and during my consultant, my, my consultation, I should say, excuse me, with her, we started talking, chopping it up. You know, she starts mentioning some stuff. And then I basically end up interviewing her during my consultation with her. And I realized that she has an amazing story. She has such an amazing story that I will actually be dividing this uh, particular interview into two parts. And it's only because I did not want to lose the essence of her story and her redirection touch points by editing. And so you're going to hear this particular interview. It will be the first on redirection with Terry Carell in two parts. Okay, so let's jump into it. You know, when we say you say book, but you don't say chapter. When you meet this young lady, she is outspoken. She's uh, seemingly extroverted. She's a certified public accountant. Um, she's an entrepreneur. She's the founder of the Premi Foundation here in Jamaica. But when you hear her story, listen, if you have ever experienced abandonment, if you have experienced trauma, if you have experienced um, failure and failing grades in school, if you have ever walked around or walked on this earth feeling invisible, feeling as if you're not valued, that you are not worthy, and as far as you're concerned, this was just your station in life, you're going to want to listen to her story. Um, I'm really happy to have her really, uh, appreciative that she was just so transparent with this interview. And in case you're wondering, so, so Terry, who are you talking about? I'm talking about Mrs. Sarika Sterling and redirection with Terry Carell starts right now. Powered by Toyota Jamaica. You want to get the most out of every minute and every mile of your life. That's why Toyota is the brand most Jamaicans drive for life. Reliable, affordable, and durable. Everything you want from a vehicle, Toyota delivers. Enjoy your life's journey with a Toyota. Toyota Jamaica. Let's go places. Welcome, 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 everyone. Say hello to the wonderful, to the beautiful Sarika Sterling. How are you? I'm doing fine, Terry. And how are you? I am much better now that I have you in the redirection <laughs> seat. Thank you so very much for agreeing to um, to this interview and for the uh, for the listeners. You know, it's always interesting how I meet my guests and what what was a a consultation because you're going to start to understand what Sarika actually does. You know, I call her and I'm like, yo, I need your help. And she's like, no problem. I'm going to set up a consultation with you. And I'm like, sure. And in the consultation, we started just talking and then I started interviewing. Then I said, you know what? You have an amazing story that I think my community would absolutely love. So thank you for agreeing to it. And congratulations 
for making it uh, on the the Jamaica Observer's top 20 women who had the most impact in Jamaica on Jamaicans in 2020. Yo, can we just... Hey! No, that was amazing. And that was like such a big surprise for me. I was at home doing some work as usual and, and someone messaged me, hey, I saw you in the paper. And I was like, you sure that's not like an old thing? Because I know that Observer <laughs> did the... The, um, the all-woman thing. So I was like, oh, boy, she's so late. This is all ever. I was like, no, man, it's some old thing. And she's like, no. So she sent me a sip. And I was like, what? What? My name is on people's tongues out there. Come on. Yes, I mean, it was a real big surprise for me. Yeah, and you are listed among persons who are very recognizable in the space. You know, people who are media personalities, public figures, you know, people who, by right, when you call their names, people are like, yeah, yeah, for sure. We got it. And for you to have been there in the top 20, um, like, how did that make you feel? Like, when you found out, what, what were your thoughts? Okay, so I'm I'm a little quirky. So I, I went to my husband. I was like, I was like, Stefan, his name is Stefan. I was like, Stefan, these people were were obviously looking for like an extra name for you in there. And then just mix up some name and just man come on him, just throw it in there. And that's what I always say. You know, even when I won the um the JVDC, you know, Mrs. Woman of the Year award, I was like, Stefan, them just want one extra name for you in the box. <laughs> when they told me about the nomination, I was like, them just want somebody else you know, put in there and they just put my name in there and then I happened to win. So, you know, when it settled down with laugh about it and everything, I was like, you know, this is really a good thing. I really appreciated it. Um, I mean, I started the Premier Foundation in 2017. And as I said to my husband, there are times when I was like, Lord Jesus, you're just enough. You know, everything you just want in and then it's We so love enough. By the way, the redirection <laughs> family, the community, we say people call it enough. We call it progressive. You understand? Extra is code for excellence. And that we say. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised and I was happy. One of the reasons is that, you know, I've always been in the background working and with the persons mm. that work with me, you know, if you ask them, I'll tell them, I'll say, listen, it doesn't matter who come on board with us. You know, we'll reach out to get sponsors. We'll reach out to get persons to support and not everybody will come on board. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they always seem disheartened. And I say, it doesn't matter. I say, my train is going to leave the station whether they come on or not. Blows and skirts. What we're doing, we're we're not doing for sponsors. We're really doing for the community. Mm -hmm. And it's a one day at a time thing. And once people see that, you know, we're doing it and we're doing it for the right reasons, they will want to hop on. And even though the train is leaving the station... I, you know, let them hop on. It's fine, you know. So it was really good because it's an effort that we really pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, we started out with zero support. One and two persons come on board, which we really appreciated. And to see in 2020 after, that's what? Um, three years. Three, mm-hmm. Yeah, three years to be recognized for it. You know, we're, I'm very, very happy about it. And I really appreciate all the people who supported it. No, absolutely. First of all, thank you so very much. And we're going to get into the conversation about the foundation because there's, I'm, I'm certain that there are many families, women, um, who, who may not even know that it exists. But it also goes to show that when you're always doing it for the right reason, when you're doing it for the why, you know, it's your why and always going back to it. That And it doesn't take 3 million people. It doesn't take popularity. It takes consistent, intentional, strategic yes. work. And it takes um, just getting up every single day and recommitting to something. And people have to stop and notice you. They have to stop. Yes, yes. So it was like a daily, 
or a monthly recommitment, you know, and I said to them, you know, even if it's two people support, next next time we do it, it will be five, next time it will be eight, because we're in it for the long haul. And we say one one coco. One one basket. coco, yes. <laughs> so 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 now let us get into the conversation because here it is, we've started off with you being acknowledged in the space, you know. Uh, 20 top 20 women who had the most impact in 2020 you you made mention that you were jbdc uh uh businesswoman of the of the year uh, recipient okay so d- is this where you saw your which is a question i ask all my guests by the way <laughs> if if you could look back on your younger self uh, 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 and you know or your younger self could look at you now is this where you saw yourself Listen, I didn't even see myself here two years ago or even a year ago. I, none of these things were things that I, you know, thought I'd be getting any kind of business award. I always see and I was like, oh, that's nice, you know, but I never thought that I'd get a business award. I never thought I would be listed among, you know, the top women at all. I never knew I'd be getting any kind of recognition on this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do, what I always had, not always, but what I developed, let me just say that over time is really just to put my all in everything that I'm doing. Yes. And um, it's really never for the recognition, but just to, I've, I've developed um, an attitude of satisfying myself hmm. and satisfying the people, the few people who believe in me. So practically everything I do, it's all about, okay, did you get any better at, you know, who you want to become? And even if I make one step closer to that, I'm happy. And am I making the people who believe in me proud? Mm-hmm. And once they're proud and once they're happy, I'm like, yes. So the, the external accolades were really things that just came on because I was focused on being the best me and doing the best and making, you know, those persons who support me proud. And setting your standard and, and using your standard to measure against your standard. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> so that's what I do for myself. Um, in anything that I do, And, you know, whenever I speak to people or whenever I talk to persons that I try to encourage, I say, okay, the first thing that you need to do is set your own standard, Mm -hmm. right? Once you have your own standard set, regardless of the setting that you're in, regardless of the level of support that you have, regardless of, you know, whether you like the persons who you're working with or not, or even if you like the work that you're doing or not, you're always going to be reaching for your own standard. And what that does It creates consistency um, because in anything you do, you'll be doing it, you know, on your standard, not because of how you're treated or who is supporting you or what you're doing, but by your own standard. So that's how I work. And you and you said that perfectly. It actually reminds me of a caption that I I once had across LinkedIn and I think Instagram. And I said, you know, it really boils down to my excellence is unconditional. It is not determined by anyone or anything or whatever circumstance or situation. So that's amazing. So let us take it back. Right. Let's let's meet Sarika in her younger days so that we can we can peel the layers to understand how you, a woman who you said just two years ago was like, yeah, this is not I don't even know. I don't even know what my dreams or maybe what my particular aspirations or outcome will be. Let us go back to the younger Sarika and and explain to us what was growing up like? You know, I always ask my guests, you know, single parent home like myself here. Was it mommy, daddy? Was it only child or siblings? Let us know. <laughs> tell, tell us more about you. Okay. So my younger years, yes. Um, first, 
Um, my, my my name is Sarita Senior. That's what that's what I started as. Yes. Hence the Senior Accounting Services, which a lot of people don't know. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, oh gosh, my boss about the secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, in my younger years, yeah, I grew up with mommy and daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it wasn't the the home that I that you know, that a child would probably dream of. Mm-hmm. Uh, mommy and daddy was there, but it wasn't the perfect home. It was a home that was filled with a lot of you know violence, yeah, and abuse. Not on the children, but my, the parents, each other. So they would fight a lot. They would cuss a lot. And I'm not talking about no little fight, no little oh you know scream at each other and slam the door. No, you mean all out, drag out, fight, draw blood. You know, you know, throwing you know glass across the room, breaking furniture. It was very traumatic, and we were from a very poor background, so we yeah. lived in a two two room board dwelling on a piece of land. And when I say two room, I mean literally two rooms. So you know, one is the bedroom, and one is living room slash kitchen slash everything. And um, you made outside, and you know you do everything else outside. You right. Know? It was a small space in a room with your. I had three siblings, um, two sisters. Sorry, so it was three of us. So the three of us. I'm trying them. to fit, but I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to visualize this two bedroom, and I'm like, mommy, daddy, Sarika, two <laughs> sisters. What she mean? Yes, two rooms. So one room, all of us sleeping. So it had. Um, I think we had. We, my sisters and I, we had like a mattress. I'm not sure if it was, I can't remember if it was probably on the floor, it was on a bed. And then our, our parents had another bed. Oh so we were in the God. same room and, you know, you have the bed. I don't even recall seeing a dresser, but you know, you have the barrel. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You know, so it was literally just a room. I think the barrel had in the clothes and we were just living. And then you had a living room. I think in the living room, we had a table. We have like a fridge, you know. I think the cooking went on outside mainly, you wow. know. But that was, I was very, very young. And that's what I remembered of it. But we did have a yard because it was country. We mean deep country country. And when you say country, for people who are listening, which part of Jamaica you, you hail from? Okay. First of all, my country is not where you people call country. My country is where country people call country. Right? Yo, I can't even imagine. I can't, yo, there's depths to this. There's levels to this thing. So, my, so in Mobe, Mobe people will call where I live country. And oh. that was up um, Garland side. They call it yes. Maroon Town. Yes. So it was about, it's like about 45 minutes or hour outside of Montego Bay in St. James. Jeez. And I just, I just learned about Garland um, last year, March, March 2020. Oh, really? I found out about Garland. But, yeah, but all the way up there. And let me ask you this, you know, you, you, you're, you're mentioning, and, and we know that in many households, domestic abuse is crazy. Um, and, it, and people, even psychologists have said that some of these have long time and long term effects on, on, on children who are in the home. Did you process what was going on? Did you even know how to process Like, How did you feel or how did you and your siblings feel seeing that happening, you know, between your mom and your dad? Uh, I'm not sure how my siblings felt, but for me, I was, I was pretty young. This was probably six, seven, you know, that mm-hmm. age. And I loved both my parents mm-hmm. for different reasons. I may not have loved them together, but I loved my mother and I loved my father dearly. So whenever they fought, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I felt like I was going to lose them both, which I did, which, you know, we'll come to. 
Um, and, you know, it really made me sad. However, for some reason, negative, my negative experiences, I've come to realize that they affect me in that I live to stay far from them. Oh, wow. Right. So for some people, it, it, would, it would have impacted the them when they up in abusive relationship. For me, it's the opposite. As soon as you even look for me too hard, me gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you use it as a so you used it as as a point of reference for what you do not, not want, what to not do, or what situation to not get into. So it was that way for me. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened is, it I didn't live in it for very very long. We didn't live in it for very very long. Or I didn't. Thank I was at a place where I understood it, and it happened for a very long time because it all culminated on you know my dad leaving. One day we came home from school. And um, when we got to the, to, the, to the road that led to, to our house, which was like one of the first houses, we saw a big crowd. Oh, jeez. Big crowd in the yard. Police car, I think, was at the gate or, or was just driving off. And just a whole bunch of people just lurking about. And we were like, you know, in my head, I was like, Lord Jesus, you know. So you already like, know. Yeah, yeah, man, you already know. Mm-hmm. Regular something, even sometimes when the bed sleeping and in the middle of the night you start hearing glass hitting and you like and you wake up and oh it's a fight, you know. So I got to the gate and you know one bunch of people there, me and my sisters we walked in and them kind of just part the crowd. In like when you watch TV and they just part the crowd. I look on the porch yeah. them walking into the yard and we went into the house and there was just bloody bloody rags and bloody towel, you know, and wow. broken this and broken that and no parents. So. Me know the first thing I thought, you know, and it's funny how you know I can vividly remember these traumatic experiences, yeah. and you know, a lot of the happy experiences they don't really remember, you know, mm-hmm. and that's I think it's a sad part about it. So, you know, the first thing I thought was like, you know, the both of them dead. Dead, absolutely. But I'm dead because they're not here, everybody's at our gate, so them dead. We start boss, start worry, only to find out that they're not dead. But somebody damaged somebody, one got, one getting locked up and the other one half a guard gone give report. And we are just sitting there as children in the middle of it. No, no adult in the house. And what were the ages? Because I know you were, you mentioned age six, but what are the ages so that we can have a, a good idea of, of you guys, oh. the poor things, as you would say, part in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. So I think I was at the time, I think I was probably in grade one or so. So yeah. I was about six, six at the time. And my my middle sister, she would have been two years older than me, so she would be eight. And the other sister would be one year older than her, so she so would she's be nine. nine. So it's nine, eight, six. Right, nine, eight, six. So um, our mother returned without the father. So daddy left um, after that incident is what I remembered. He left, he didn't come back. And... So my mom was left with us in the house. What was there any explain like you know you know peering like peering like like parenting now is a little bit different you know where I find there are a lot of there are a lot of us who like even with my daughter who is eight you know people don't just come to the house to visit and she just no I actually say hey Nai I'm just letting you know people are coming like there's this exchange no. because they're. This is the oh. 1980s, Terry. Nobody explaining anything to anybody. You just wake up one year, daddy's not there. And you and 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 uh, and, you, and when you ask for, for your father, you get a him not there, you know, your papa not there, him gone. You know what I mean? You, you don't know. You don't even know what they're fighting about. Nobody tells you anything. You're just in the middle, 
just watching everything happen. So, you know, we were there with her. Um, did you, did you ever you... feel did you ever feel at that time that he abandoned you or did of you course. Mm. Of course. I for many 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 years um it was actually in my adulthood that I I um I felt like he abandoned me. That changed a little bit and you know, my whole perspective of the situation changed when I became an adult and I had children and I looked at my situation and I tried to come to terms with why they did what they did yes. and how yes. what they did play out. And, you know, you know, I kind of come to terms with the situation, which I'll explain. Right. Um, but essentially we were there with her and then, you know, she always used to go to Mobe. Because my mom tell us, yeah, I caught Julie when I saw her. It's a trick. It's a trick. I remember, you know, she used to carry. So whenever they're going to Mobe, you know, she would carry one of us each time. Because, you know, it's a big trip. We put on with frill socks and we, we, we shoes, we buckle up shoes. Yes, I would dress. Those were the good old days, though. Mobile, right? So it wasn't anything for her to go to Mobe. So this particular day, she said it was a weekend. She said she'd go into Mobe. I remember it clearly because my sister... She had just met in some kind of accident when we were walking home from school and she had a cut on her ankle. So it was all wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, we're all staying home and she's going to Mobe. And we're there in the house waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, time start get dark. No mummy, you know. Then it came to night and we we're like, where is mummy? So she not coming back. So at that point, no, we went to our neighbor. And we're like, you know, we've been here for all day. And of course, you know, it's, you know, it's six eight and nine who will cook so we've been there just oh. eating whatever was there and then we went to our neighbor and we told him that you know mommy gone from morning and she don't come back and it's coming down tonight and they're like you know you can't stay here so you have to go to your grandparents so luckily our grandmother grandparents lived further up the road mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know we have to pack up two little things and go and all the while you know we probably i mean i don't even remember what i was thinking but it was never that she was not coming back correct at, at least at least you're saying you're saying maybe something happened you know maybe taxi yeah. or bus or will come later or we'll see her tomorrow but that turned into she didn't come back what so so daddy left and left her with us. And then she left. No explanation. No nothing. So she soon come back. She had no more bait, And she just never returned. What happened? What was the conversation like between you guys as siblings? I mean, I'm trying to understand, you know, me, my sisters, you know, you, you, you loving your mom, as you said, and loving your dad for what they represented in spite of everything you right. saw. And going through the trauma and having to come to terms somehow or dealing with the fact that your daddy just peaced out and no one explained to you, you're not at fault. It isn't you. This just is not a healthy, this is not a, this is not a healthy relationship. And then the one parent now who you were like, all right, well, at least this is going to be the savior turns out to abandon. Like what on earth were you now thinking? And when did it even occur to you that she really wasn't coming back? When we just, you know, we're just bouncing between grandparents' house and, you know, just like we're just there and we're like, okay, so we're not going back to our house, you know, where we were down the road. Nobody said, and I don't even think they said anything to them. You know, I don't, I think she just left. I don't think she went to my grandparents and said, um, you know, I soon come back or can you wash my kids for me? She just up and left and they had no choice. Um, but to take us in. And 
that in itself was a rough, it was rough for us mm -hmm. and it was rough for them. And what happened is that as children, and that's one of the things that I'm very careful about with my kids is that back in the days, I don't know how people are now, but back in the days, I don't think people used to think that children feel and that they could process, process Correct. your body language, your body language and, you know, your emotions and they could actually, you know, discern how you feel about them. So, you know, we felt like outcasts. I mean, we really appreciated everything that they did. I mean, we never, we never went hungry. Right. But, but you knew that you interrupted. You knew that you yes. disrupted. And you knew that in, in, in no uncertain terms, you could have been considered burdensome. Three yes. children, three mouths to feed and three responsibilities. It right. is very difficult to make these people feel like, yeah, you're one of us. Don't even worry about it. Right, right. So that, right. That's exactly what it is. And I mean, again, for quite some time, I, I'm, and as, as I would say before, as a child, I didn't process it that way. I just felt, you know, sad. I felt like an outcast. I felt like we weren't, you know, 100% welcome. Um, but as I grew older and I understood the gravity of what my parents did, mm -hmm. I understood why, you know, I, they, they, I could read that body language. I could read that feeling from them because I put myself in their position. And I said, but if my sister decides for us to go both care of business and drop off our three kids, I know I'm going to take care of them to the best of my ability. Why? Because I went through that and I wouldn't want them to feel the way I did. Correct. But Correct. if I didn't go through that experience before... I would feel a little um, sense of resentment um, towards, not even necessarily to them, but towards her, their parents. Right. You know, because it would come out in my behavior. So, 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 so let me ask you a question. Um, because you had mentioned that you were living in this, of course, this you know, board house, two bedroom with your mom, your dad, and your siblings. And now you move to your grandparents' home, three of you what is the transition like even in terms of the physical space? Because if we're still talking about rural, we know that the community would have kind of looked the same. You know, I don't, yes. think, I don't think you moved from a two-bed boardroom to a five-bedroom mansion, you know, up the road. So like, yes. what was the transition in terms of even the physical space? The same where it was like, all right, same, same amount of persons or was it even more difficult? Um. So... But in those days, it's probably the same. No, I'm not sure. But you had a lot of extended family um, dwelling. And this was one of them. So in this house, you had grandparents and you had my, um, my father's, I think about three of my father's siblings. And um, one of them had kids. So, you know, they were cousins and they were uncles. Oh, so it's a, so a 10 bedroom mansion you moved into. No. <laughs> It was bigger, but it, you know, we, we got a space. Mm -hmm. So what happened? We had to split, but it wasn't like a big split because my other grandmother, she lived around the road, further around the road. Right. So my big sister, and the, the thing about it is that I don't even call it live. I call it a space to sleep. Right. So essentially we just got a space to sleep. So my big sister, she would sleep um, with my mother's grandparents. Maternal. Mm -hmm. And then we, my, my middle sister and myself would be at the, my father's grandparents, my father's parents, sorry. And we got a space to sleep, but we never, I, I didn't feel like we got a home. 
got you, but, but, I didn't but feel like we got a home. It was never a plan. So I completely yes, understand that. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I'm saying that, you know, when we process it, you know, as adults and we look at the situation, I totally understand because this is something that kind of just drop in at them lap out of nowhere. They never planned for it. You know, these, and I remember said it's a country, everybody are farm. You understand? They're farming to feed and nobody not having a big work. You know, no, I can tell you nobody in that family was no big teacher, no big bank. Because, you know, mm-hmm. teacher, bank clerk, and did big, big work. Them days, they say, yeah, man. Yeah, so man. nobody, so we didn't have any formal, you know, kind of employment or any big employment where people were bringing a lot of money to feed two more mouths. So let me ask you this, because you brought up a very good, good, good point. You're looking around you and what you're exposed to is farmer, dwelling, itch up, catch up, do the best with what you have. So at that point in time, did you have any idea or any dream of what you wanted to be or what you wanted to do? Uh, no. Like those, <laughs> look here, the, at that point in survival. So, I mean, I wasn't even, I don't think I, a lot of our days were spent just on the road, running up and down, barefoot. Um, in a tear up clothes, you know, um, we used to, you know, teeth up on people farm, which we weren't supposed to do and play in a bush and dirt and go river and, you know, those things that we were just existing, you know, we we're just young kids. No, no, I don't think any of us had any dreams, dreams and aspirations. aspirations. We just wanted to get a, um, a frilly socks. Um, we just probably, my biggest dream was to probably go to school with a whole book because a half a book, we used to go to school with a half a pencil. So my biggest dream was when can I get a whole book or when can I get a whole pencil? It was probably, can I get money to go? I, we weren't used to, we don't, never used to get money to go to school. You know, you get your lunch kit with the food and you know, when the food done, no nice things to buy from nobody outside. So, I mean, we were just living day to day going to school and I think we did enjoy our childhood um when we were with our friends mm-hmm. and you know going river going bush running up and down on the street and everything but the parenting part of it is what we're lacking yes in preparing mm-hmm. us probably for the world so let you know us no i totally get it and and it's funny because even now you have a lot of children who and which is why 2020 was such a rough year and how the the educational system was hit was because school a lot of the times was the escape for quite a lot of children who come from communities or come from homes that are toxic and are dysfunctional. And it was their friends and the run up and yes. down and the buying of the sweets yes. and the sharing of the cookie <laughs> and the biscuit. That was really, um, you know, their, their way of escaping. And so we do know that quite a lot of children in Jamaica and of course around the world who would have not, uh, who certainly didn't have the luxuries and the resources that many of us have, uh, a lot of them suffered for it. So let us talk about school. So how did you do, you know, moving out of, was it a primary? I, I'm, I'm assuming it would have been like a primary school that you, you, you might've attended, but talk to me yes. about academics. Because naturally, statistics will tell you, and of course, the experts will tell you that chances are you're, 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 you're either going to do very well against all odds or you do very badly, which is the narrative that most of us know. So what happened to you academically? So um, for that period while I was there without parents going to school, um, I used to, all, because I had older siblings, I used to always want to read their books. Never mind. So whatever books you're reading, that's what I'm reading. 
I don't want to read my little book, my grade one book. What's that? But you know, kids. I take anyway. Um, I lose the books. I'm telling you, every day me lose the book. That's how you get half a book because you lose half today, you get another half tomorrow, or you just go write pump paper or something like that. But I used to, I I used to love reading, and I would read anything and anybody's big big people book. Um, my circumstance changed, unfortunately, not my sister's when. My father just popped back up out of nowhere. Oh, you mean pop back up? It's like just, you know, remember in those days, you know, there was no cell phone. Nobody going to call or, or WhatsApp you and tell you that, oh, I'm coming by. Tell Sarika I'm coming by or, you know, tell him I'm living here. So I didn't even know that they were alive. I didn't know if my father was alive. I didn't know if my mother was alive. I just know they weren't there. You How know? old were you now when he popped back in? When he popped back in, I was probably... I was probably, it was, I was probably seven and a half going on there, oh, eight, wow. maybe, you know, because I don't, I mean, the, the dates are even kind of fuzzy, mm-hmm. you know, So, he, but I know he popped back in before, before second, right between third grade, yes, yes. and yes. for third grade is when he popped back up, and I remember, of course, with the power of barefoot, and I probably not somebody bush. Somewhere and somebody come and say, Sarika, your father out the road and me take off. You know, because regardless of the fact that they left. There's excitement still, and yearning. Still excitement because one, because you didn't know they were going to come back. You never know if them dead and gone. And you know, you think that them coming back is them coming back for you. Awesome. You know, I can I can Leave. you know have daddy and we can move back home. But when I went, he didn't come back, you know, him just come back for visit you know and he came back with his you know his girlfriend who went on to be his um wife and my stepmom um and her you know friend so he just came to visit apparently he didn't know that my mom left again maybe it was because of you know no cell phone at the time and it was country and no house phone no nothing you know i don't know but even then but even then sarika for him to not even possibly know that because he's no longer in the area he would have moved away and started a new relationship as you as you rightfully mentioned but you thought you could just pop back in suppose mommy was still there like how does how would that even have played out is what i would really have wanted to know i wasn't even processing that i mean at that age i was just like all right daddy come back my gun and I went and I, and, you know, I spoke to him and I spoke to, I was very, very shy. So by, by that time, I had gotten very shy. Yeah. So I spoke to him, but I wouldn't have spoken to anybody else um, that was there. Um, so we're there now. And of course, me no, no, nobody not tell me, no, nobody not tell me, say, I visit him, I visit. But then time come, him leave. And I'm like, where you going? Where you going? I thought you were back home. I'm ready for go pack up my two little things, them run up back. And you look at holy clothes. You look at dirty holy clothes. Yes. So that we can go back down and we look at two bedroom. So, you know, what you mean? You're leaving, you know? And him, and they said they're leaving. And girl, me put on one piece of coal balling. And them time there was no asphalt, really. The dirt and pebble. And I I hear that I walla in the road and ball and ball and ball. I must have right. bought myself to sleep because I did. And I remember started balling and started because it was a hill. And I started running off the hill behind him and a ball. And I said, Daddy, don't leave me. And, and I don't know how it ended, but he left. Right. And I probably would have bored myself to sleep. And, you know, my bigger sisters, they were like my, my parents, you know, yeah. we, you know, 
they always protect me because I was little and tiny and I had long hair and it was hard to comb so it was always like a mess and but, but you know that even with you saying that it's it's amazing that you could look at your sisters who are not that much older than you and regard them as pseudo parents I think that yes. is and it happens to a lot of siblings in a lot of you know, dysfunctional families where it is the child that is one year old or sometimes two years older that happens to be the caregiver. Yeah, but at the time, I wouldn't have... It's actually when I, again, when I got older that I realized that they were not much older than me. You know, I really used to look up to both of them. So the big, the, the eldest one, which was nine at the time, she was like the big, big, the head. And then my middle sister... She was the in-between and she would protect me from her when she's getting too strict. Too strict, and, you know, being all yeah, mommy. You know, say, leave her, I'll do it. And, you know, so they seemed like big people to me, you know, but it's not until years after I was like, oh, wait, you guys were, you just two years older than me and you just three years older than me. So we were really babies. And even when I look at my son and I think those are the things that, you know, um, even caused me more to put things into perspective. When I had my son, and I looked at his age and I looked at him and I was like, how, how can I walk away from him at six? Look at him. Yeah. Brush him teeth. He can't even, you know, do the things right, you know? And then I look at him at eight and, I, nah, 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 and I'm like, but this man, you know? So it's at that point I was like, boy, this was crazy. Absolutely. Did he ever come back? Like after he left, did he ever? Yes. But my ball and carry on and just, tear down the place because we're so many no same alive and he said, they promised that they would come they would come back and they came back when school ended and say i could come and spend um summer holidays just you or the three of you because i guess me to carry on the worst and yeah, i understand so they said okay so i went and then i spend it and i'm telling you when i went you know I didn't even know the things that I saw. I didn't even know they existed. Hmm. Right? I, it, when I went to that house is the first time I was seeing indoor plumbing. I didn't know people had regular kitchen with kitchen sink and pipe water. I didn't know people had, you know, inside bathroom and toilet and shower. I, I was like in wonderland. Absolutely. You know? No, you're in the mansion. No, you're in the, the good, good mansion. <laughs> No, so I was, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was totally different for me. I didn't even know people were living like that. You know what I mean? Because I, what I, what we had, I came to know as the thing, you know, for all I know, the entire Jamaica made out a door and then kitchen outside. Correct. And and, and you know what's so sad, as you mentioned that, what what is so sad is that so many people never get to sow seeds or or even have the idea of a dream or aspiration because what they see, they are limited by what they see and what they are exposed and becomes normalized to them. And it's it's a really sad, um, sad, sad. So that's why you asking me if I had any dream. Dream of what? Usually you, you dream of something that you know exists. At that time, I didn't know anything existed other than what we were, you know, farmers and dressmakers and homemakers. I didn't know anything. So at that age, I never used to dream. You know, I just used to exist. And then them can go this place with indoor plumbing and bathroom or something. And I was like, me not going back. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, I mean... You know, when I was supposed to go back at the end of the summer, I, you know, put on one next one. I'm a cobalt, you know, walla walla and carry on and, you know, everything. And 
they had pity on me and decided that, okay, they'll keep me and get me in school. And nice. it was bittersweet because Your sisters. You know, my sisters didn't get to come. Um, but I mean, it was rough enough for me not to want to go back. I know. Yeah. I know the feeling. So I remember, and I remember distinctly feeling sad for my sisters, even though, you know, I, I didn't even know why I, I felt like I missed them. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I felt sad, but, you know, I felt okay that I was, you know, with, with my your father. Daddy. Yeah. And at this point, even though he left before, I think I resented my mother more than I resented him. How so? Because for me, he left her with us in a house, in a space where she could have stayed, right? And she decided to leave us by herself. So, so for, in my mind, I'm like, he left, he left us, yes, with her, with a parent, but she left us with no, no one. one. Mm. You know? I mean, so, so, I, so for him, I, I respected him more. I guess I gave him more respect than I did my mother. I resented my mother for many, 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 many years. Yeah. It's not in my adulthood, late adulthood, that I really sat down and thought about it. And I said, and really just drew on other person's experience who were going through, who are going through similar violence and bad relationship and, you know, hopelessness. And I said to myself, boy, maybe she just got to that point where that was just the only thing i don't know i really do i can't i'm not justifying it right and you can't really speak on her behalf because whatever yeah. she was going through mentally and physically and emotionally it, it is going to be difficult for anyone to truly know um and and and, and really point yeah. you know pin yes. it down to, to it being that but i can only imagine that right. um even with children and that's that that, that becomes very difficult but going through whatever she went through. And as you said, rightfully so, there was blood. This was not a, don't do that. And I'm not talking to you and you're on a timeout, but this was bloody for a very long period of time. Who knows what she might've been processing, but you did what a lot of people will never do and have not been able to do. And that is to come to some realization that you have to let it go. Like, if not for the- I no longer resent her. We don't have a relationship, not because I resent her, but because we just never had a relationship. So there's nothing. And I never grew up with her at all. I didn't even spend, um, since she left, Mm -hmm. I haven't spent more than probably 24, uh, 48 hours with her. You know, it was just always, you know, I'll probably run into her coming home from school one day, or, you know, she'll just pop up one day and we'll talk at the gate and then she'll she'll leave wow. but you know we don't have a relate we still talk but we don't have a relationship because we just it never don't. was it just never was right so my dad and i we probably have more of a relationship than 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 her but then as i grew older as i said i resented her less yes right but then i start realizing that what my dad did was equally as bad absolutely you know and i started to be like boy you know and that's at the point that i say you know i can't resent her anymore because you know and you know we would have conversations about it and she explained you know she talked everything i'd never excuse somebody for leaving their their children at such a young age but you never know what kind of mental issue she was going through at the time 
sometimes, you know, it's deep and, you know, decision that they made weren't, wasn't even from a conscious space. Correct. And I've heard that benefit of the doubt. And, you know, because I understand what the relationship was and everything, you know, I say, all right, we let it go. Yeah. That was with my dad and my step, my stepmom, my stepmom, my step family was a, a wonderful family. They really mm. took me in and I really felt like I was a part mm. of the family. So no. And that's the difference because you were saying when you went to your grandparents, you kind of still felt like an old cast, like you were still on the fringes, but now you actually felt like home, not just because yes. you're with your dad, but because of how the others made you right. feel. Yes, yes. So I felt much more at home. I felt much more relaxed. I felt much more of a part of a family unit. Um, I feel like I was with people who cared. You know, I, I get my hair combed. Oh, wait, <laughs> yes. Before, I had long hair, long yes. thick hair. And, you know, it would go far away without combing. It's all over the place. But no, like everybody used to fight who to comb my hair. Everybody wanted to comb it because it was so nice to comb. I put one bunch of clips. I felt beautiful, you know. Yeah, and valued and special. Yes, yes. yes. But, you know. I grew up with, with uh, my step-parents and of course it wasn't all peaches and cream either, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So outside of the love that I felt and everything, I did also go through, you know, a very negative experience um, when I lived with them, which, you know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not going to go into. And you don't um, have to. Them, you don't right? have to. I went through a very negative experience and, it also, it added on because I don't think I had completely healed from what happened before. I didn't even expect though, it to. I, I'm <laughs> sure, I know, I'm sure. And even if you were a child, things were happening and traumatizing you before you even knew what trauma was, but it was still happening to you. And so yeah. I think anything that you came upon, and, and the thing is, again, you didn't have an outlet. You didn't actually have an outlet or someone who you could express what was going on and they would welcome what you're saying and help you to make it through. So literally I'm figuring anytime you buck your toe or anytime something happened to you, it was just compounding over a period of time. Yes. Yes. And I mean, as you rightfully said, nobody explained why my dad left in the first place. I didn't even know why they were arguing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know who was doing who wrong. There are still those kind of questions in, in, in swirling in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as I say, I resented my mom because she left. So she was getting all the blame. And was yeah. there a difference in dynamics between your dad and your mom? And here it is. No, you had your dad and a stepmom. Were the dynamics different or was was violence just still a part of? Oh, there was none whatsoever. My, wow. my stepmom and my and my dad, I I have never seen them fight. I have, they've never laid hands on each other. Um, they have Did you ever wonder why? Did you ever wonder why? Well, as I said, I, let me tell you one of the things that I probably didn't tell you before, but in my, in, in growing up in the community, when my mom and dad left, right? You know, community state, everybody have your business. <sighs> tell me about it. And they were not um, afraid to share it in front of your face. Hmm. So, what I knew of my mom and my dad's relationship was largely from people just at chat on the road. Oh, see them here. Your man a judge, that or that man. Pierre, man and pa, we a fight. Me said she terribly, you see. So that, that's what I used to hear, that my mom was just terrible. Gotcha. And she loved fight and she loved cuss, and, you know, and everything, you know. It didn't, so it seemed 
as if my mom was, was the aggressor. Instigator. Mm-hmm. Why she was aggressive, I had no idea. I just know say she was aggressive. So in my mind, you know, and people used to always say she's crazy. You know, so in my mind, I just literally thought, okay, my mom is crazy. So I used to just tell people when they asked me about my mother, my real mother, I was like, my mother, my real mother is a mad woman. Like I used to literally say that to wow. people, like, a mad woman. And that was because, as you said, nobody sat down and said, you know, Sarika, this is big man and big woman thing. However, this is really not how it should be. And so, so that is the narrative. And that, so that was the, that was the narrative you learned. And so therefore that was the narrative you continued with and you shared. Yeah, so my mom was just, aggr- my mom is aggressive. That's what I knew. So it was no surprise that there was no fighting going on in this household because my mom was the aggressor. Wow. Forget what my dad would have done to cause the aggression. My mother was aggressive. I don't even know why she was causing She was at fault. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there were still those questions that for me was unanswered as in, okay, so why would you leave without saying goodbye? Why would you leave and not know it? Not come back to visit why would you leave and we didn't see you for so long you didn't Hmm. send money you didn't send any clothes you didn't send any things you know so none of those questions i got to ask because i was a child you don't ask those questions you know what i mean but they were still there you know and i I think that's what a lot of adults don't appreciate that children have a mind and they do have questions and so when all so when you know i went through this other experience it kind of added to it and what it did was kind of to me at that time confirmed that I was nobody. Wow. Were you still you know, in primary school or had you now entered high school? Um, it was a seventh grade as you get into seventh grade, seventh grade, you know? So at that time I was like, okay. So even though I left that situation and everything, I am still a nobody. You know, I'm not, not because I'm here, I mean, I'm somebody, I'm just a nobody from country who, my parents did abandon, you know what I mean? And what that did is it made my, especially my high school years terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, if you ask somebody about me in high school, they would tell you that, you know, probably I was a clone. I was very funny. I used to always be joking around. If you ask my teachers, you know, they would, I remember one time I got a report card and one of the teacher notes was that, you know, they don't know the student. What? class a lot um uh, I used to daydream a lot um so I used to just sit in the class and I'm not hearing anything that the teacher is saying at all because I'm dreaming about I'm just thinking about my life and my situation and the fact that you know who am I where am I going to go and I'm looking at other kids and I'm looking at how happy they are and you know how put together they are and you know how fondly they talk about their you know just their life and you know, I'm like, I don't have that life. I'm never going to have that life. And, you know, that life is not for me. And so instead of learning, Correct. I was thinking about all these things that, as you say, no one ever explained to me. Nobody ever gave me an answer. Nobody, you know, I, I didn't have a sounding board because these were things that you never spoke about. Right. At home, you didn't speak about them at church. And you can't tell your friends and you can't tell your teacher. So they're all in here and they're bothering me. And it's blocking everything. And you know what's in, what's interesting? Don't mean to cut you. What's interesting too is that you you realize that um, you know as a as a as a child because you're still very much a child. 
you are probably deflecting. You know, they always say that kids who go through some of the worst things, they develop these little personas. They become the class clowns. You know, they're always yes. joking, which is actually a form yes. of deflection because it, it takes yes. them out of thinking about their reality. And probably what happened in high school too is that you're looking around and you're realizing, and if you felt the way you felt, which is when you said, you know, you didn't feel valued, you didn't feel like you're anyone. The question now becomes, why bother with school? What's the purpose of school and grades and academics if at the end of the day, Menago amount to nothing? Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, Terry, it, m- my conversations in my head didn't even get there. Wow. As in, I was not processing school at all. I was just going to school because I had to go to school. And when I'm there, all I'm processing is just my life situation, my past. And... I wasn't, and that's the thing, I wasn't spending much time thinking about the future or thinking about understanding what the teacher was teaching because I was not supposed to, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not supposed to be, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not supposed to learn. I'm, I'm, I'm just a nobody who just, a nobody who settles for the lower half of the class. You know what I mean? The, the, any somebody's, somebody's are going to become in the top half. I'm just in the bottom half because that's just my lot. That's just my life. You are just a nobody. These things happen to people like you. And this was and your definition of who you just, would become. You know what I mean? So it was a sad blur. And I, it had such an emotional toll. I did not realize the toll it had on me until I was in my very late teens. <laughs> and I, I don't remember how it came up, but I think somebody asked me, you know, where do I see myself in five years? And they asked me, you know, you know, who are you? Like, you know, how do you describe yourself? So I started doing a lot of reflection, you know, introspection, thinking about myself and thinking about who I am. And that's when I discovered that I did not have an identity because I never lived. I never, mm. I never, um, I never gave myself the chance to discover myself because I always had that label of a nobody. You were so never given I- the chance. Right. So what I, yes. So what I did, I found that everything that I did, all different aspects of me that I was at this age were, were, were bits and pieces of everyone that I came in contact with that I thought I would want to be. So I would have a friend and I thought that she had the perfect um, family life or, you know, perfect life. And I would behave the way she behaved and then I have another friend and she laughed this way and I laugh the way she laughed and, and this person talks you're searching you're searching yeah so I was be some pieces of like a gazillion people and I was like I felt sad and I nearly actually got depressed because I was like I felt like I was so old you know I was in my late teens and I was like I can't believe I don't know who I am you know um, I didn't even know if I was a nice person, even though I was very nice. I was very nice. No, no, you, you, you are a sweetheart and your energy is amazing. But there was no teacher. There was no community. There was nobody who said, uh, maybe she's troubled. There's something wrong with her. She has a lot of potential. Nice girl, but yes. daydreaming. There so was no always one, Sarika. So on my, on my, so here's what happened to me in high school. So after I experienced, you know, that, you know, negative um, encounter, mm-hmm. um, it affected my grades, definitely. 
when I started high school, I was in um, first stream, so they call it, right? So the brightest yes. class. So that's classes where you pass your common entrance. You know, you go into first stream and second stream. And then the rest of the stream, we had about three more streams where you put, you know, people who come from all age school who went up to ninth grade or whatever, right? right. And after I finished seventh grade, I got demoted, right? Got demoted. You know, all along, I thought that I was smart because I used to read a lot, you know what I mean? But again, I couldn't say why. I just, again, I just thought that, okay, you're just a dunce person. You're just not smart, you know? You're not as smart as you thought you were, just like everything else. You just, I know you're like this, you know? And feeling all of that in addition to everything, and I got demoted and I went back to school in September and I'm telling you, Terry, I... Just sat in the back of the class. You gave up. You gave yeah, up. Yeah, man, I did. I did. I did. Because when I went, and then kids have no mercy. When I went into the class, everybody was like, yeah, man, you think you're bright. Mm -mm. And I was like, oh, my God. I just went to the back of the class and I sat down, even though a lot of the kids in that class were my friends. I knew them. You know, they were, were close, but I knew them. I sat in the back of the class and I was in that class for about a week or two. Mm-hmm. One day I was in the class and this teacher came to the door while the other teacher was teaching and called her. And then the teacher came and said, Sarika, take your bag and your books and go with Mrs. Reed. And I went and she called me into the, the corridor and she yes. said, It's fine. It's fine. It's fine, baby girl. It is absolutely fine. But she called me in the corridor and she said, Um, she says, Sarika, this is not you. I don't know what is happening. I don't know what you're going through, but you're a smart girl. And I mean, this is somebody that I only met in seventh grade. It was my seventh grade teacher. She says, Sarika, I know that you're smart. I know that you can do better. And I don't know what's happening. I don't know what you're going through, but you don't belong in that stream. You belong in the first stream. And, you know, I spoke to the principal and I explained it to him and they gave me the okay to put you back in your class. Wow. How did that make you feel, Sarika? I felt, I mean, definitely I felt relief. But then I felt that was a, one of the, the times that I felt valued by someone. Yes. I felt like she, she really saw me. I mean, all along I felt invisible. You know, and I was just surprised that there was this teacher who actually saw me and saw me enough to know that something was wrong mm -hmm. and valued me enough to know that, you know, she had to do something. And I really appreciated it so much. But at the time, I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to, you know, show her my appreciation or anything. I was just happy to go back into my class and, you know, Throughout my years in high school, she was just one of those persons that I always look up to and I always oh, have respect for. And, you know, then I realized that, you know, years after when I started going to a church, she was a member of the church as well. You know? So did you ever get a chance to tell her how much? Of she, course. I mean, she's my, of time, how she she's, my first, she's my first son's godmother. Oh. I said to my husband that, listen, I have, you know, Edward's god parents so don't even bother think about that i have the godmother and the godmother is this lady because there were other points that she you know interacted with me and she really gave me um 
um, you know, spoke positively over me and encouraged me. And I'm like, this is the type of person that you want to be around your yes. children, you know, yes. to show them value. But unfortunately, well, I don't know, you know, even though I went back into the A stream, I still didn't do well. I still didn't do well because, of course, that didn't heal what was going on. It, it, because it was a band-aid. She and gave you, yes. She gave you, yeah. she gave you a push. She gave you a prompt, a prod. But what happened is that that was just a band-aid to fix something. But but the root, like the wound was still The root concerned. issue was still there. It was not being dealt with. We were not talking about it. Nobody was explaining it to me. I was not able to talk about it. I was not able to express how I felt about it or how it made me feel. And I wasn't being, you know, um, nobody was helping me to deal with it, to tell me how to deal with it. So I, I was dealing with it and I didn't know how to deal with it. You know what I mean? Oh. How do you deal with these things? So Nobody's telling you. You can't even talk about it. So then, Sirica, you know? then how do you manage now? Because everybody knows you get to high school, you're, you're, you're approaching CXEs. You know, your CXEs is what's going to now determine, especially if it was back in the 90s. You know, I, I graduated CXE 1998, not to date myself or anything. <laughs> But, you know, CXCs is now the thing, you know, either you're going to go up a six or you're going to go into a, um, into a job or, oh God, talk to me about it. Listen, up a six is not an option for me. I'm not an up a sixer. Up a sixer are people who, after them lot that, that was not my lot, right? My lot was more likely high school, get a job and sort out your life. So high school, as I said, Terry was a blur. Whether, me them know. Right. There were a few classes where the teachers said that I did well and I don't know how I did well. So I think, OK, maybe I'm just naturally good at it. So they, mm -hmm. they used to say that I did well at math and I did well at accounting. So I said, all right, I decided that then anyway, I do well at this. I go because I'm not in a sense of direction, you know, and I enjoyed history. So I decided, OK, I'm going to do history. So I ended up I did do eight subjects and I failed three mm -hmm. and I passed five. Um, I got four threes and one two. And so it's not so, even like you got the five ones. You are like barely scraping through. Barely just come through. Right? Did, did your daddy have any idea? Um, any was there any intervention at all? Because I mean you get in report cards like every year, every every year, every semester, you get a report card, your parents have to come in. Talk yeah. to the teacher. Your teacher tell you, say, listen, she chat too much, you know, or she's a great student, yes. or she needs to work yes. on this. Did you, you, them come. They, they, I think they probably, I think after a while, they just lost, you know, because every term, every term, it was practically the same thing, you know. Oh Either I talk too much, I skip in the class, or I just not do anything. I think, you know, I was always in the bottom half. I don't ever remember being in the top half. I think I was in the top half of my first semester of seventh grade. And, and after that, that, I was always in the bottom half. That and I think after a while, my parents didn't even know what to do. You know, um, I got into trouble a lot. I nearly got expelled because, you know, in those days, if you get three suspensions, then you get, you get expelled. Well, I got expelled three times. I mean, oh, suspended. Suspend. Three times. Mm -hmm. 
And I think is another teacher saved me from being expelled when I got into trouble the fourth time. So I, I gave trouble, you know, I, you know, as a little teen. I don't even know if it was acting out, but I was just doing all sorts of things that I was not supposed to be doing and not really focusing on school. So, yeah, but but it, you have to also understand that a lot of the times when you see children, you know, doing well in school, it's it's a lot of the times it's because of all the elements that come together. Usually there is a, a a matriarch or a patriarch. There is somebody, a community member. There's a mentor of some sort that is really drilling and and guiding. But when you are literally trying to figure this out, and you're but a child yourself, you have peers your age. Them can't really teach you anything else. You might be picking up bits and pieces, but you've been left on your own to decide and determine what make you feel good and what you don't want to and what you want to. Yeah, well, my, my, my stepmom really tried. So my dad, he was there, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that he was active parenting, you know? He was the breadwinner. So in those days, I guess maybe in, even in nowadays, no, you know, he was a breadwinner. He wasn't, he was the, he was the person you're calling when things get too bad, right? So it was largely left up to my stepmom and she tried. And not went to the show, she tried. She tried. She was, she tried, but you see, when there is something wrong emotionally and mentally, no matter how you try to help someone, unless you're tackling, because you know what I identify and I've seen it with people that I have even interacted with that they could be in a situation that you clearly see what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? And you're saying to yourself, so why didn't others fix that? Or why them can't see for themselves? Like Yes, but you don't understand that there is an emotional or a mental element that is blocking them from seeing what I'm seeing. Correct. Right? So to me, it's clear, but to them, it's not. So I think it was the same thing for me. To my parents, it's clear. Study a book, pass your exam. But nobody knows what is going on in the human mind. You know, they see me every day and I'm laughing and I'm joking and I'm this and I'm a happy-go-lucky child and they think that I'm okay, but I wasn't you okay. Weren't fun- yeah, you were functional. You I were functional. Correct. Yes, I was just going day by day. Okay, go school today, so another class. All right. Oh, exam time? All right. Read the book. Do I even have the right notes? I don't even know. All right, go another exam, do something. Oh, say something happened. So I think I think I really started thinking about life when I got to 11th grade, no, and it was too late, you know. I started saying, No, what am I doing? You know, school done. Well, that you know? was going to be my question. My question is, No, well, Jano, you do eight subjects, you fail three, yeah, 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 you have five, but it's not like five ones I mean, where you, you know you, you, you scrape through. And I'm going, So, what's the next move? Like, yeah, so at that point, I think I got, you know, I got, I was like, All right, I'm gonna leave school now. Backside, all right, let me try a team, let me study. Um, because, you know, you see what happened to people who just leave school without subject. You know what I mean? No, I'm not saying anything bad about heart. You know, my best employee came from heart. Yes. But at that time, heart was like a hell no. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, if you go hard, that's it. No, no, and, and, no, no, no. And people still, I have met some of the best tradesmen yes. and women across different industries and when you ask where them study or where them come from you say hard there's still a stigma attached uh-huh. to technical schools and schools like heart because it has always been the saying that if you don't go a big school or a traditional right, school, right. then you're done i'm telling you i'm telling you terry my best staff 
university graduates can hold a candle to her and bop, she bop. her heart. Bop, bop. You know, and that's one of the things that I realized that heart is not, ju- not just a place for dunce people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the times it's for people who may even cannot afford to go to university and they need a start. Correct. But at that time, as I said, you know, that's the, 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 the thought that I had about heart. And that's why I was like, Mikiago, there is like a Jamal school. Mm-hmm. But what I've come to realize is that it really is a, it's to me, I'm telling you, it seems like a transitional school because you have a lot of people who are going through what, who, who are going through what I went through and they needed that space to still develop in. Correct. You, know, you can't just throw them out into the world after high school. They can't get a job and they can't go to university. And heart, I think, is a very good middle place for them to go to continue study while they work through transitioning from, you know, a kid to an adult and taking care oh, of Oh, for them. sure. And I mean, I mean, there's immense value as well. Maybe because we are not No, my, right. Both of us like here talking about heart. But, but there's immense value, especially when we consider how many people come out of uh uh, high schools with ones and they get into yeah. the, the, the the universities and they come out theory wise theoretically they are sound but they have absolutely no clue when it comes to the practical and then you have students coming out of heart who already know what how they yeah. can make them money turn them hand and 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 become right. business people so big up to the shout out shout outs to all of shout them. out heart <laughs> you understand yeah so, so i started so I started getting a little bit more serious now, like in the last semester. Now I'm like, all right, I'm going to study. So I tried to study. And I think that's how I scraped through them five subjects there. Because had I continued not just, you know, just moseying on through, I would have just failed all of them. That's for sure. Wow. But, I, but I, I pushed that last semester and I, and, you know, and I met up with some, what they call nerds in school. And, you know, they really helped with study together. And me, but go home, I'm going to try to read. I don't know what I read. So, because Terry, me, so I read, I don't know what I read. So I don't even know what I read. So, read. So, you are first, so this is the first time you're actually trying to be intentional. Exactly. So I got the five subjects and I'm like, Lord Jesus, that them time, you know, everybody calling, oh, because I had a lot of friends who went to Mobe High, which mm-hmm. is what Alverne and they're like, oh, oh, I got six ones and you know four twos. How much did you get? I'm like, uh, I'm still with the results. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 um, you know, them never get my SBA, you know, like you know, so <laughs> it was quite embarrassing, you know. But again, for me, it was just saying to me that you know, Sirka, you are just not the student with go to university and get a good job. But my mother was fierce. My stepmother was fierce and she pushed and she pushed and she said, yeah, I got school. And with the five local subjects, she sent me down to the community college and she said, yeah, I got to apply. I'm going to cure why you can't yeah, get in there. And that, yeah, I do. Yes. You know? yes. So I'm going to and get in one course. And I really only did it for a year. I was supposed to be in the course for three years, but I dropped out after a year. <laughs> but you know, when I when I dropped out, you know, they sent me a letter saying that I failed how many subjects and after research. I'm like, I'm not going back. <laughs> Anyways. So, so Sarika, at this point in time, are you like, no, sir, I'm really a failure? Or are you kind of saying, no man, maybe this is just not my thing? Yeah. No man, I, I just thought that just school was not my thing. Like studying was just not my thing. I'm not a studier, I'm not an academic her. <laughs> it was just not my thing. You know, so my parents know, my, my mom, you know, her family was abroad. So they tried to get me into a school over there, some vocational school. 
and they got me into that vocational school and I went to New York, right? Mm-hmm. And I lived there for two months. I'm glad come and said, yes, me now come back. He's a bun up. Yes. <laughs> I found out my man run off, but I come back. So yeah, you know, but I didn't like it over there. I did not like it over there at all. So I was like, no, no, man, look at my yard. So even there, <laughs> I didn't do well. I I used to, I don't even know what I was doing because my my um my family even got academic letters from the school saying, listen, if you don't finish this course, we're gonna throw her out. So Sarika, it's it's failure after failure after failure. Yeah, and a part of it was just, I think that for me, you know, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that I could learn. I didn't know that I I could, I was going to be. They had the ability. Yeah, I didn't think I had the ability to do any of that thing, you know, and I was just kind of still going through my, I'm, I'm a young person. I was still trying to, you know, enjoy two little things, you know, I used to just skip school and go walk up and down in a mall or just, because well, my school used to be close to, to, um, used to be close to, uh, what do you call it? You know, that big stadium that they always play basketball in, where they? Madison Square Garden. Yes. Um, so my train used to go to Madison Square Garden. So I just came out of there, and then if the if the if the bug bite me, me just go. Um, uh, Macy's was across the street. I just go in Macy's, walking up and down, using me like a change for buy all like cheap things like that. And then I would go to school and the talk of things. So so you came you know, home. So it sounds to me like you came home. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I pushed through and I finished. And, you know, I'm getting to look at certificate, and I was like, you know, guys, I'm I'm gonna go back home because I really don't like it here. So I came back to Jamaica and then I started working in the free zone. How else me I got free zone me for end up? You understand? Somebody just applied for right. work. And I started working at a call center in the Montego Bay free zone. And I was growing while I was there. I was growing into being an adult. Yes. Um, I was 19 at the time. And then I decided that, you know, I wanted to move out on my own. You know, of course, space was getting limited you now in, in, in that place and everything. And I said, well, I'm starting to look a change. And you, you can know, take care of yourself. You're independent. Yes. I'm going to have no key. I'm going to come in a little later. And then I tell me about almost coming before eight. And that not going to work. So, <laughs> me gone. <laughs> you know? And did your attitude change? Because now you understand that, okay, in school, you can kind of do whatever, you know, your your parents still have some form of responsibility and accountability where you are concerned. But now you you are now a young adult. You're still a teen, so I don't really want to say young adult. But here's the thing. I was always responsible. I was always responsible. So I used to be, I used to, I remember when I used to go to high school, even all of my mess. Every day I would get my nephew ready. I would take him to school because I was at shift school. I would take him to school. I would drop him off because my mom and my aunt and my uncles, everybody went to work like at 6 a.m. Wow. So at 6 a.m. everyone left the house and it was just me and my little nephew. And he was probably four or five at the time or less. Yes. So I used to bathe him, dress him, take him to school, drop him off, came back home, got ready, and then me go to school. So even though I used to waste time at school and everything, you, are, um, you still knew how to be responsible. responsible. I used to clean up the house every day before I leave school um, to go to school sometimes. Because when I was on the evening shift, I used to cook dinner before I left the house. Or if I'm on the morning shift, whenever I come home, I cook dinner, clean up the house. Yes. Up every 
with him homework and everything. So I was responsible. So even as a so as a call center employee, even within your 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 mess that is still going on and the trauma is still yes. there, you still were able to identify that you had to do this, you had to show up for this, you right. had to do this in order yeah. to get that. I oh, when I started working, I was one of those exemplary employees. I used to, I used to give out things called golden apples, and I would get golden apple, you know, um, ever so often, and they would, you know, select me to go on certain kind of visits that they're going on. But I how did to, that make you feel as somebody who has um, been coming at the, you know, bottom, never making it, you know, and, and yeah. not feeling valued unless your 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 how you viewed yourself has changed at this point. But then how that, do you feel now because you're getting golden apples to validate that <laughs> hey, you are special, you're yeah. valued. Well, I mean, it didn't make me feel very special, but I, I was, what was changing was I was coming into myself now. Mm. I was seeing who Sarika Senior was and I was okay with it. And I was also seeing that there was a path out not a, I wasn't even looking at a part of success, but I saw that I could actually manage on my own, that I could actually live day to day, that I could actually not be on the street begging or depending on anybody mm-hmm. care of me. So that was big. And two, I was learning about, as I say, who I am. Why do I, why am I, because I used to always wonder, why am I so friendly? Because being friendly used to always get me in trouble with yeah. boys mm-hmm. and my parents. Mm-hmm. So I used to feel like, you know, because I'm so friendly and approachable, men always get the wrong impression. Like I saw them spy with them two times, them want phone number, and them are telling friends to me and them are friends, you know? Right. And, you know, um, so I used to wonder, am I naturally friendly or am I being friendly because I think that's what I need to do to be liked, you know? And then I realized that, no, I mean, you're just a polite person and that's okay. So all of those little things that people would have put into perspective long time, I was just doing that at 20. And 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 you you're a late bloomer but let me ask you this now at this point in time know that you're coming into yourself and you're now identifying things that you're okay with or you're identifying things that are strong your strengths even. Right. Do you now have any dreams or aspirations or that's still kind of yes. uh, no. I start have dream look at two look at dreams now because it's still life. But my somebody got New York, you know. Hey. Yeah, man, somebody got tall building and elevator and all these things, right? So <laughs> I'm going to see people with their own room and, yeah. So, so you know. I say, yeah, man, things outside of Mobile, because at this point, I don't even, I mean, the first time I ventured outside of, of, of St. James was probably to go to the embassy when I was going to get the visa to go to school at, at 17, you know? So I was like, you know, and, you know, now that we have consistent cable now me I watch show and I said but say so people are working at office I have you and you know and I say oh so that accountants do because I did accounting in school but poor me don't even know right so people can actually make a living out of this thing this thing big you know what I mean so I'm like no man so all along I was there and I was just you know like working and trying to get better at what I do and growing there and I didn't think about university until this girl, I distinctly remember she resigned. And um, I remember asking her, I said, why are you resign? And she said, she's going to school. I'm like, we're school, Yui. And you're like, like, wait, you give up your job, you give up your, and you give up your yeah. work. Yeah, so, I, so she said, no, she's going to Kingston to go to school. And I'm like, huh? So you know, oh, I'm going to start research. No. Them time that I, you don't have no smartphone, I don't have no computer. 
But I know she said, you, and me know, say you with them mobile. So I went to you, you know, I'm sorry, right, you will. How this thing work? Because at least let me find. So at this point, I was like, you know, Sarah, can you get this far? You need to do something more, you know? And I think that's what, you know, going out there and seeing what is out there helps to do, to open your eyes to the possibilities. So my eyes were not open to the possibilities, no, that I'd seen it. And I was like, let's check out this school thing. Yes, you have five CXC. And I've always said to myself, boy, a little bit of CXC that you grade them no good. You can't get in a school. But something said to me, go and find out what it takes to get into school. And at this point, I was ready to even redo the subjects because I was like, you know, I don't see myself sitting in this call center for the rest of my life. So let me see what I can do. It sounds like the little bug of purpose just touched you a little bit. Yes. Even if you so still it, didn't know what it was all about, it sounds yes. like the little purpose bug just come in and said, come girl, come and girl. And that came out of all that self-searching and finding myself and finding myself worth because now that I discovered that, okay, so you don't have to be like all these other people who you look up to or who you think had a better life than you. It's okay to be yourself because that's a person that you have to live with every day. And I realized that no matter how I act like somebody else or live like somebody else, I still had my demons to fight in my head. Mm. They don't leave you because you are putting on this fake outer shell. So on the outside, I'm smiling, but on the inside, I'm crying. Mm. And I'm like, there has to be a way where I can smile on the inside and on the outside and me just taking on everybody's, you know, appearance or, you know, everybody's personalities. Mm -hmm. Not it. So I had to figure out who I was, come to terms with the fact that, okay, you are not the typical person as you think. Because at the time I thought that um, I was not typical, but I'm figuring out that even my experience is typical. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was like, okay, you're not the typical person. You never born a mobile, you had to use outside toilet, your mom and papa leave you, you lived in this home, you went through this traumatic experience. And I had to say to myself, it's okay, you can still dream. Hey, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And that's when I said, Now I gotta find out about this thing. Because I remember somebody got New York to for the little time, and I'm like, there is a possibility. And during that time, I even met people who went through bad experiences. Too, yes. Like, working there and I met other persons who they went through similar experiences like I did and I'm like at that point I was you're like, not alone I'm not alone so people even in a big bad America yeah <laughs> big farin big farin is going through the same thing that I went through you still have you have people in America who is living on the street hmm. you know what I mean don't have food to eat you know, going through all these little traumatic experiences, losing their parents to drugs. And I'm like, but they're here. So therefore, I'm not alone. This thing isn't unique. I'm not unique. So all along, I used to think that these things happen to me because I just smile a lot. I yeah. Bad things happen to me. But I'm realizing that bad things just happen. And it doesn't necessarily happen to bad people. It just happened. Right. So then I start realizing that, Sarika, these things didn't happen to you because you're a bad person or you deserve bad things. They happen because that's just that's life. life. <laughs> it's just life. And it's really what you make of yourself that is important, not the things that happen to you that you didn't bring on to yourself. Brilliant. So you didn't cause these things to happen to you. So don't take them on and wear them. You, you know, know, you know what's amazing. Life. What's amazing, and you 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 said that so beautifully, is that when you start to understand that, 
is when you can actually start receiving. When you actually start realizing that, wait a second here, I wasn't just meant here to be a nobody. I was not, I'm not on this earth walking to be invisible, but that I can actually, I can actually take the good, the bad and ugly, everything that has happened to me and I can still create something for me, but I have to want it for myself first. Started with that first walk up to Yui in Mobe. And I asked the lady, you know, what is the requirement? And she says, five CXCs and two A-levels. And I was like, did you just say five CXCs come <laughs> on five? Not just say five CXC. She said, yes, five CXC. And, I, and then do you know what my next question was? Do you accept threes? Yes. She just said she accept threes. She said, and I was like, okay. Two A-levels, here I come. Yes. So I took the last little money. I was saving up some money because I had, you know, I was working on this special project and I saved up a good little change and I put it in a arm. Um, them time, you know, you have like a fixed deposit. And yes. I had enough money. Do you know me? Fixed deposit it up. I think at the time, I never remember, probably it was only $30,000, but you know me, fixed deposit. Enough money. <laughs> so I said, okay, you know, I'm going to check out this A-levels thing and I'm going to do the A-levels. So I check out the A-levels. And I paid for them and I went to the class. And you know, me feel them. Cheese on peas. Did you think clearly and carefully about the <laughs> particular subjects that you wanted? Or were you just so excited to do the two A-levels that you I just... thought about them. But guess what happened to me, Terry? I still think I wasn't smart. Hmm. I still thought that you are not smart. So I tried to pick the two easiest subjects. I picked accounting because I got two in accounting. Some say, my most can pass accounting, can get two. And then I had to pick another one. And I don't even remember what the other one was. Probably business administration. But at the time, I started school and I start remember, I said, but I say, you're not smart. I say, you're not pass. You never pass the CXC. So I don't know. And then I was working and going to school. And, you know, yeah, your, your mind was telling you, but you are audacious. The audacity yeah. of you. Your yeah. mind is now telling you, but look upon you with your bright self. But you go university and you do A-levels <laughs> and you could have barely make it out of high school. High school, it's, exactly. It's, it's a real That's exactly what my mind was telling me. And it's and no, and the reason why this part, this particular part of your story is so important is because a lot of persons feel like when they're motivated and inspired to do more and to be more, and they they fail, they 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 think they feel as if well, you know, maybe that little push was just it wasn't supposed to be. But, but, yeah, but mm-hmm. that is how it is, especially when you've been struggling with something for a very long time. It doesn't just disappear. So expect there to exactly. be a struggle. You know, for a while. So how you how I you take it? What, what what what? So what you do? Well, I didn't take it hard because remember I'm a failure, you know. So when you when you failed so much, when you feel just be like, yeah, yeah, man, me fail, all right. Me didn't know. But yeah, me didn't know. Me, you know, me didn't know what to do now. But what happened was, in between that time, I met a man. I. I. You should see her smiling, guys. You should see Sarika smiling. So within that time, no, I met my no husband. Nice. Right? And we started talking. And he was actually the second person outside of, you know, my family unit that really, outside of me, remember Mrs. Reed? Mrs. Reed, yes, ma'am. Oh, my husband was the second person that, 
believed in me and saw so much in me. And the thing about it is that it's one thing for your parents to tell you, because your parents, you know, they're telling you, go to school, you go learn, you know, stop waste time, tell your friend them, and you, can't, you know. But here comes somebody who don't know you, who didn't grow up with you. Has no obligation. Story, don't know my past, never know certain people garlic, never know the things I'm going to go through. And me just talk to this person, having a conversation with them, and this person is telling, telling me, you know, say so you're a smart young girl, I like the way you reason. Up to that point, I don't think anyone had ever told me that. Jeez, um, even with you the know, golden apples, even in, I mean, the, the golden, golden apples, apples, you know, you're in the workspace and everything. But to have, and I think one of the reasons why it had such an impact is because of who he, who, how I saw him. Mm. He was one of the per. You remember those people that I always look at and be like, boy, mm, you know, he was one of those persons that. He saw me first. Matter of fact, me never approached him. He saw me first. He saw me without even knowing my name. He saw me. Because he was telling me this afterwards. He said, Sir, I saw you walking. Um, you were in a bunch of people. But for some reason, I thought you were like head and shoulders above them. Not only in height, but just your body language and just your, you, know, your, you, were, your, you were vibrant. And he said, immediately him asked him, cousin, who is she? And, you know, I'm sending cousin for go figure out, find out who me and if I have a boyfriend and when we work and all these things. That I mean, no, no, that is, you know. <laughs> but then I met him on happenstance sometime after that. And, you know, we exchanged contacts and I honestly wasn't even thinking about, come here, I said, no, man, that the man, they're a big man. Because when I first met him, I was like, because he wasn't, he's not much older than me, you know, he's just five years older than me. But just the way, does his... His out of your league. league, yeah, he would have been yeah, open yeah. based yeah, on man. where you were. He was, you know, well dressed and you know, and I looked at him and now, you know, the you know, for me, I was like, okay, him have a girl. Them, them, and then the passion flag, you know. And poor little old me, poor little old me, you know, you know, another shelf, them me can't, yeah, you know. So I didn't even consider it, you know. I just talked to him because I thought, you know, he was somebody that was within the same church space as me, and right. I used to be. Of them, you know, the guys in the church, and we used to just hang out together. So I was just like, okay, here's just one more guy to hang on to tack on to the hanging out to find out that he liked me. You know, we used to just chat, 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 and then he used to always say, What's your coming? Like, how you reason, you know, you know. I mean, I never come in, somebody said, Is that really like how me reason? You know, because all along, I just because even in my circles, <laughs> in my friend circles, and in the people at home, they never used to treat me as if I was smart. They never used to treat me as if, you know, my words had weight or my words had value or, you know. Yes. But here's this person who me look at and me say, no, but you are, because at this point, this is a man who have a master's, you know, and have mm-hmm. like a good, solid job in Kingston. And I'm like, if you, you smart. So if you attempt to me smart, then it's like, yeah, tell me, liar, me smart for true. Right. <laughs> no, you're yeah. right. So then how did that, so then how did that affect, so how did that affect you going forward? You know what I mean? So no. He encouraged me, sorry for cutting you off. He encouraged me to redo the subjects. So even when I said to him that I failed, you know, him said, yeah, just redo it. He didn't even say to me, you know, he didn't, there was no hint of why did you fail or Or judgment or judgment. You know what I mean? He's like, it's okay. Just, just reset it. And I'm like, you know, which (laughs) one? Yeah, cause you just bust up your little turtle. Fix the deposit, you know? Um, 
And he said, yeah, man, he said, listen to me, Serica. I think that you're smart and I think if you do it a second time, you're going to pass so much so that I'll lend you the money to do it. And I was like, choo choo, choo choo, all right, fine. Lend me the money to do it, you know? And, you know, he, he lent me the money and I, and I, um, somewhere between him lending me the money for do the class and me actually doing the class, we got married. So, you know, how short that was. That was oh. month. Hold on, hold on there, hold on there, hold on. Between lending the money, depositing the money to the institution, and sitting the two little subject, you guys married. got married. Yeah, man, married up, quick, quick. So we, 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 we met, we met like late August, going into September, and we got married the next year. Mark, no, that man was that man wasn't wasting no time. Not that time did I waste. You, 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 you know what's funny about this conversation? The fact that you looked at that man and you were assuming to yourself that that man can't stay on shelf long. It must have a girl, and yet still, it was you who didn't stay on the shelf long. Man, six months after we were having a wedding, April 17, two thousand six, and you passed your exam. Tell me, say you passed your exam. My exam not do yet. Oh, exam. <laughs> no, well, tell me, say you go pass your exam. Can you can't yes, fail after? Hey! <laughs> so, I mean, I we got married and moved. That's so how I ended up moving to Kingston because he was, and that's what I'm telling you, he was living in Kingston and working in Kingston um, at the time. And he used to come down every weekend just to see me. I would never used to target because he wanted to see me. So, we got married and I moved to Kingston. And um, then soon after, November after, I had my son. So, no. Hold on. Well, first of all, number one, I'm sure you did not pay him back the money for your two subjects, right? I no, money. <laughs> <laughs> no, because before we got before we got married, I tried to. Um, when I got them, because I said to him, okay, let me the money. I'm supposed to get some money at the X time. Yes. That's when I get the money that I'll give you back. And I got the money now, and I said, okay, here's the money. He's like, all right, hold on, pan it for me for a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, you sure? I said, yeah, man, let's make it stay in the account. And then married up, and then the account became our account. And, you know, money he wouldn't take it from you. He, he, that was a gift. No, from the moment he decided yes. he was going to do it, but it, it, was, it was a gift. So, so basically, you get the bug to go to university. You fail. You meet this awesome guy who encourages you, says, don't worry about it. I'm going to lend you the money. You get married to him within six months yep. and have a baby. About yes. a year later. Yes. And this is after you sit the exam and pass the exam. I sit the exam, pass the exam. And now you have a belly. While I was pregnant. Yeah, I took the exam while I, was, I had a big belly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So... And other things happen in such a short period of time. So, but between meeting him September, I met him September 2005 and November 2006, I was married and had a baby. So how does that now work in, and, and by the way, what's happening to you mentally based on where you're coming from? I know the it's fact that you- afraid. In my head, like I loved him, but in my head, I'm like, Every now and again, I'm like, but what do I do? Imposter syndrome. Yeah, with, with, with baby, I'm married. 
and you know so it was it was kind of surreal because I never thought of myself as getting married not because I didn't want to get married but I never thought that I was going to find um, somebody to love me enough to want to marry me and live with me Whoa. for the rest of the I never thought that would happen to tell you the truth. I never did. I knew I was I would probably be able to get a boyfriend because I I I, I did look good. I yes. had a good a nice body and a nice face. So you still have a you me. still have a good face and a nice body. <laughs> warm to Sarika. Warm to Sarika. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So and if you if you ask him but it's crony like but it's still <laughs> sexy. And as a mom, as a mom, did it ever worry you? You know, you said that you managed to stay out of going back to the things that traumatized you. Were you ever worried about being a mom and making better decisions, the right decisions, considering that never I, happened for you? I can tell you this. I was still struggling with my issues. My issues don't go away because somebody mm-hmm. showed up. They were still there mentally because at this point, I probably still didn't share a lot of them with him. Um, because one of the things is you don't want to share everything and then him gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, um, so I kind of unraveled it a little, little, you know, um, before we got married. And I was surprised to see how well he took them. So I'm like, yeah. so them something don't matter to him either. So that's when I realized that these things actually don't matter to some people. When somebody loves you, the things that you have gone through, it doesn't matter to them. And they see you better than you even see yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I mean, that to me confirmed that, yeah, man, this is the man that God sent from Jerusalem. Just for you. Just, Just for you. So then for me, because the, he saw all of that and he still thought that I was worthy. Worthy. So let me ask you this now. Can we have to go back to Yui? So <laughs> you, have the ba- you have the baby, but yes. you still want to go Yui because... Yeah, so we get the two little A-levels. But I don't know good grade again, right? I must have me had three grade or so. I think at the time, A level was marked like A, B, C, D, E. Right? Correct. So. Correct. B. Right? I don't even know what the result there right now because I just wanted to forget about it. All I wanted to find out was, you we accept D? And I think you we said they accept A to D. And I was like, all right, we're good. Right? So... I applied to Yui and sending me things and I only applied to you because you would want to go. I don't want to go to UTEC, not because it's not a good school. I just didn't have four years to spend in a mm. So I applied to Yui and Terry, they were my weight with my baby, with my nipple buckle and baby feeding and potty training and everything and nothing from Yui. September 1. And I said, all right, maybe, maybe I first week of September and... <clears throat> Them soon, call. them soon call. Yeah, them soon call. Them soon message. Them time, I didn't even know that you get accepted as soon as um, CXC results come out. You know? Never know say acceptance going up from early August. Me, they did them wait. Come, no, 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 about university. September come round, not me decide for call you in. No phone and answer because you will be busy and prepare for September morning, right? So I say, you know what? May I go up there. So me take up my son. I a whole bag of diapers and everything. He was uh, close to nine months old at the time. I said to my husband, I said, just drop me off at Yui. And he dropped me off at Yui. And I went into admissions. I said, the same lady who me submit the documents. So I said, thank you, Jesus. She can't attest so she get me things. So I went to her and I said, Miss, I didn't get through. You know, and she's like, okay, what's your number? So I gave her the information. She's like, oh, yes, you didn't get through. I said, why? She's like, you know, they didn't get my A-level scores. I said, yeah, but I sent it in. But anyway, here it is. She's like... 
Um, but yeah. Cars aren't very hot. I'm like, but you say you needed five CXCs and two A levels, and I have five CXCs and I have two A levels, and they are the grade that you guys accept. And he's like, yes, but um, we still we still have a limit on space, so we are going to actually pick from the top students. The creme de la creme. Yes, and because your grades are so low, you'd be like in the bottom half. So, you know, you wouldn't have gotten through. And I'm like, you know, my jaw drop, my heart shut up out of my chest because you need to say me naga university comes grades low and this not sound like that'll get through next year either. You know? So I said, I, I said, Miss, are you sure? I said, could you could you sub, just submit the grades and find out if the dean of discipline, I mean, the dean of admissions would accept it, seeing as though they didn't see my A-levels. And the lady's like, well, she doesn't need to see your A-levels. You got these. Ooh. And your grades are three and twos, threes and two. And I was like, at that point, no, you know, I would have grown a little bit more. I was a little bit more assertive. Mm-hmm. I was very tiny more. And I was a little bit more confident in myself because I'm a married woman and here I'm around this strong black man who supports me, my husband. So and it's pouring into you. Confident and secure in myself. So I said to her, I want to speak to the Dean of Discipline then. Blows and scared. But look on you. <laughs> Don't. Don't. So she with said. Your, with, your, with your D's and your, your, your D's and, and your two. Bobo, I talked to Dina, this Dean of Admissions. So she said, you know, you have to make an appointment. So I said, well, make the appointment. She said, you have to go home and call back. I went home and I called, Terry, I called, I called, I called every day for a week. Nobody answered. And nobody reached out to me to make the appointment, which she said they would. So you know me, pack up lockstock and barrel again the next week, go up there with my nine-month-old baby and tin feeding and, and nipple buckle and thermos. And I went and I said, you guys told me you're going to call me because I need to speak to the dean of admissions. But nobody called. So, you know, is she I'm back? here. Because I'm here. Like, yes, yeah, she's here, but we don't have you in the appointment book. I said, I'll wait. They're like, you know, you just have to wait until all her appointments are done. And if she has time, I said, well, I have time. I'll wait. So I sat in that lobby with my little nine-month-old and little rocking thingy with one heap of diaper and nipple buckle and thermos with hot water like there's a whole daycare out there and they look like them get tired of me after a while the whole body and the and the diaper changes and, <laughs> <laughs> and they decided all right let me, let me just get her out of this place so they came finally came and said okay you know she said she can't see you in between one of her meetings i said all right that's all i mean so i went in there and i pleaded with her when i did not go out i'm gonna beg the space i said miss listen and I explained my situation. You know, I said, I'm a young mother. I just got married. I just moved to Kingston. I really need to, to get into school because if I don't get into school, what am I going to do? I have a baby here and I need to be able to get my degree, to finish it in three years by the time he's three years old so I can get him, get him into a proper school. And so that, that you can, can become someone. Yes, and that I can help my husband because right now I'm just sitting at home with a baby and my husband is working and he's the only one taking care of the family. And if I don't go to university, I will never be able to assist him properly, you know, to help with my son. And all I want is just a chance to get a university degree. That's it. And, you know, if you have any space at all, because mm-hmm. I, I did not apply to any other school. This is the only school I applied to, right? 
So if you have any space, please just give me a space. I don't know, maybe somebody whisper in her ear and she said, all right, I'm going to see what I can do. Wow. But you can't start September. You have to come January. I was like, miss, honestly, I understand what you're saying, but I can't start January. Because if I start January, you're going to be a semester behind. Spend one more, one extra year in school than I need to, you know? And she's like, you know, but the semester has gone so far because Terry by now at the end of September, you know, the next week will be October. October, one month worth of school gone already. And I'm ready for getting to mid-semesters. And she's like, but we're getting into mid-semesters now. One whole month has passed. Do you think you'll be able to catch up? Me with my two Ds and four Ds. And one, two. I want to. Look the lady dead in her eye and said, yes, I will. You know me, I got to know, I will. And I think that was another turning point in my life because I had to work so hard to get past that barrier that I created. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was the one who didn't do well. You know what I mean? Regardless of, you know, my situation. I know my situation brought that on. But remember, when you when I go out there, nobody's seen my situation. Mm-hmm. All they're seeing is my results. And they're not going to ask me, why did you get threes and two? They're not going to sympathize. They're going to judge you based on that. And I may not be able to share with them that I had a tough upbringing. They're just going to say you got threes. A lot of people will think that you were at school wasting time. Or they see me with a child and they say, you know, all you did want a man. Correct. So I had to, 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 to put all of that aside and say, miss, just give me the opportunity. And I'll show you that I'm just trying to make a name for myself. And Terry girl... I started yep. October, you see? And this is October? <laughs> October. And it was right up on mid-semesters. And you know that when I finished that first year of university, my GPA was 4.3. Boy! Meaning that every class that I did, I got A or A+. Terry, I couldn't believe it. Mr. the people about the Namah, the paper them. I was just in there. He doesn't people about the Namah, the paper them. You know, so these people have me in a one little bracket when they say, you know, so we'll give them <laughs> and then we'll give them some C. And me just lucky enough to find the A bracket because me not bright. So, so only the university I get A's. So but 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 it must have been amazing because you would have had to do the catch-up. You would have had to get notes from the, the you know your, your colleagues. And I don't know nobody because and... that was not my year. So Sarika, that must have been a boost for you. That must have been, that must have been it. Yes, I was running around campus talking to, I was making friends with everybody because remember now, I was now what, 23? And these were all kids who just left high school, right? Um, so I didn't know any of them. I was like the old person in school. So I was running around trying to make friends. So this is where my friendly personality came in. So I was, I made friends easily and I borrowed this a person book and we, we talked to the teacher here and we catch up here and I had meetings here and there and I make sure that I got all the notes and I make sure that I studied. But the, the push for me was, were a number of things mm-hmm. that I had to fight so hard to get the space. Yes. That I had a son that I didn't want to feel the way I felt growing up. Yes. You know, I wanted him to have somebody that he can look up to both his mom and dad and say, you know, my mom and dad have greatness in them and so do I. Yes. And I also wanted to make my husband proud because he believed in me so much. And he had been pushing you from the beginning. 
had been pushing me so hard. And not only that, I remember when I was supposed to, when I said I wanted to go to university and everything, and I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll go to school and work part-time. Mm-hmm. And, he's like, and I'm like, what do you mean? No. And, you know, me start thinking all sorts of things. I'm like, so when the one going to work? Yeah. Because we do know that there are men who don't like when their women are, in fact, independent and earning. So there yes. is that feeling of, oh, my gosh. What why? is going on here? But outside of that, he, he always wants me to be independent. So he was teaching me how to drive. He wanted me to do this on my own. So that was not the reason, yes. I, you know. So I said, but I want to help. And he says, Sarico, he says, I really just want you to go to university and enjoy the experience. Wow. And I was like, wow. You know, not very many people would want wow. that, especially on their dime. He paid for the full three years of university out of his pocket. Oh, for sure. So you knew that you wanted to make, you wanted to make him proud. As Definitely well. had to make him proud. Every semester my school fee was paid and my books were bought and all through university, every year I'm begging for me to go look at work. You know, I'm saying, you know, I'm going to go to work. You know, and he's like, no, just take Seth Edward to daycare, go to school and do well. You know, Sarika, and- you're one of those people who come and beg people notes and then end up getting a better girl. You're out of vex. I'd be so mad. No, I'm, let me tell you, Terry, I was the one that was in the library reading over notes because remember, something I'm bright, you know. So I have to work hard. I was so in my head, circle, you know, bright. So you listen to you have to start early, you have to, you have to work longer, and you have to work harder than everyone else. That's what I told myself because I'm not smart. So and you know what somebody said to me when I said that to them the other day, because you know, people always say, Sir, you're smart. I said, No, I'm not smart. I just work hard and I do put in everything. And they said, But that is smart for you to know that you need to work harder and longer than everybody else is smart. Makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So so what happened during um, college? Was it just, what university? Was it just that you, you had your, your, your lockout in the first year and then <laughs> so it went I downhill? Year one, so I locked out in year one. And then, baps, my lockout in year two. I mean, no, I said, no, no. man, if really not mark the paper, then suck my water for you <laughs> But you know who is not going to complain about it? Not no, no. Right. So you, know, you be, so you leave UWE. You you graduate from UWE. Tell us, just boss it. Just the first class honors. So every year I thought these people weren't doing their job and they weren't, weren't marking the paper because me not get A. So I left UWE with a first class honors. Like I don't know what a C or a fail looks like. I don't know. I don't think I know what a B looks like. I think I got one B or something like that. Do you remember? But majority of my grades, beer A, A plus, just and, in, and don't. This is someone, and this is someone who three years prior had to sit down and beg the dean to just simply consider you and give you admission because your grades were in the red. And I tried to find her, you know, afterwards. And, you know, she had left. I mean, I was, I mean, I don't even know where to find her right now. Um. I can't remember her name right this minute, but I really appreciated what she did and giving me the opportunity and my husband for pushing me and a lot of my, um, and sometimes you just need somebody positive around you because a lot of my work ethics mm-hmm. came from my husband. He's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He's a committed worker. And he was the one that I looked and I said, what do you mean? I always read book. I read book. Yes. Um, 
he used to always encourage me to study. And if I have to stay up late and study, he'll stay up with me so that I don't fall asleep. You know, he'll keep keep my son quiet so that I can study. Like whenever I need to go up, because I remember one time I was even studying and I slept at school. I spent the entire night at UWE and he was at home with Edward because that's how much he wanted me to do well. And I'm like, if somebody want you to do well so bad, you don't have a choice but to do well. And yeah, and it, it also and it also shows you that sometimes you know people get so caught up thinking that you need a million people to back you, that you need you know you need to have three hundred thousand people around you to validate you. And sometimes it just takes the one right person to have the type of qualities that you can emulate and that that you yes. can you can take on to yourself, use it in your way to then, you know, get to your upper level or to upgrade yourself. You really just need that one person. The fact that you found that within a man who was just, what, five years? So he's just as young as you, if you know what I mean. Yes. This is not no 60, <laughs> no, no, this is not 60 year old man, no 70. This is not a sugar daddy. This is a man who decided to commit to you, but honored you. Because yes. I can tell you, and I can speak on behalf of a lot of women who it is hard sometimes with her partner who prefers for you to be dependent, who prefers for you to rely on him financially and everything else because they prefer their women like that. But to meet a young, in, uh, a young secure, hardworking, committed man who is also someone who honored being a father. Yo, oh, big ups I mean, to you. I tell you, I tell you, Terry, like, it was out of this world sometimes because I remember when we just got married and I moved to Kingston. Mm -hmm. And as you talk about, you know, some men wanting women to be dependent on them, this was never and has never been my husband. You know what he did when I moved to Kingston? But not even start go school yet. He, the first thing he did was he took me to the bank and he opened a bank account for us. And he gave me a debit card because he said, I don't want you to ask me for money because that's like, it, it, it seems too much like, you know, you're below me. We're on yes. the same. So you're not working. I'm working, but it doesn't mean you have to ask me for money. So he gave me a bank card and then you would think that you would put money in the account, right? That's the, that's the next thing you think. Well, you yeah, yeah. You account every month. No. He then went ahead and he gave me his bank login information to his main account. And he said, whenever you want money, log in and transfer how much you want to your account. When you want it or when you need it. It's like, you're a woman, you need things. I don't want you to come and ask me every time you need to buy some personal item or go somewhere and buy a blouse. So every month when my pay comes, just go in, transfer money to you. I'm going to say no. Sarika, asking for, asking some, for some friends, you know, <laughs> hashtag asking for friends. He, ha he has a brother? Take him. Just, just oh! Take him. I tried, guys. I tried. And then he went a step further. He then, he had a credit card because I mean, remember, you know, this was a man that had a good, um, a settled job, you know, and he had a credit card and then he went a step further and he got a supplemental credit card and gave it to me. So now I was, me now work, just like a university and here I have a credit card and a bank bank card that I can always access my money from and do, you know, do what I want, you know? And I mean, I mean, maybe it's because he knew me and knew that I was not one of them. That you'd honor. 
that you that you all that money gonna do here and nails or whatever. I was never like that, and I think that one one part of it is him trusting that, and the other part was that he was just an honorable man who never wanted to see his wife as below him, correct, or subordinate to him. Correct. He always just even before I got a university degree, even before I thought that I was someone, he always viewed me as equal. That and is he beautiful that what in whatever he does we maintain that equality so after i left um university i um I got my first i got a few offers you know um, and that's one of the things when you do well in university you know you're at the top of the list so you'll get you know a number of offers so at this point now i've learned a lot um, about myself and from my husband. So I started being a little bit more deliberate mm-hmm. about the steps that I take and what I do because I've grown a lot and I've, I came such a long way. So, you know, I strategically decided to take a particular job that would have allowed me to do my CPA. No, the CPA so, thing, no. Oh, and, and, and for, for persons who didn't, um, wouldn't have understood is that you actually went to university to pursue accounting. Because yes. again, that's the subject that you are good at. That's what you are familiar with. And as far as you're concerned, that you make money. The accountant them make, make money <laughs> as far as you're concerned. So that is actually what your specialty was. Yes, I decided to. I went, you know, further in accounting because I mean, I not initially I, I was taken up by the arts. Mm. I love dancing and acting and everything, but we couldn't afford to go to dancing class or we didn't have that at my school. And then, of course, acting at that time didn't make money. <laughs> I had to find something that made money. And I was just, you know, I got two in accounting. So I, I felt like, yeah, man, it's the accounting we need to do then because that's where the, the universe is leading me. So I did accounting and I did well in university and I got my first job and then take time, time for me to do the CPA, which is the Certified Public Accounting Exams. Wow. And I'm telling you, I hear it's brutal. I hear the CPA yeah, is brutal. Yes. And I heard the same stories about it that, you know, I was working with people who were doing it for five, six years and still couldn't pass. And it was really an exam that you had to complete. Yeah, there are four exams and you had to complete all four within 18 months of starting the first one. So you really just have an 18 month window to do these four exams, very difficult exams. And one of them even had to do with U.S. taxes. And I said, boy, I could see what I'm going on, you know. And at this point, and at this point, are you more confident in self because of how you've seen your work pay off? Or are you still going, well, maybe we get a little luck in a university, but at this point, at this point, I I got to the point where I realized that hard work is what was going to get me where I needed to go. It wasn't just being naturally smart or born with any, you know, talent in terms of, you know, academics. But what I saw worked for me over and over was when I put in the work. Yes. So after two years of, you know, getting good grades, I was like, all right, so seriously, no, them probably I do them work. And it's really probably just me. I do something. To deserve it. And the only thing that I knew I was doing was I was going to my classes and I was studying. So I say, see the CPA thing now, I'm going to have the same approach. And one of the things that I learned from my husband is, Terry, anywhere I'm going to have one book. 
Andy's managas pulling up. Because in my mind, I'm like, why would anybody want to read after them leave school? Yes. Because like, what in the world is that? And he would just buy books and in his feel and everywhere we're going, have like a book and I'm annoying him because me want to talk and him read. <laughs> so <laughs> by then, no, you know, he explained to me, Mr. Rico, if you're going to be studying or pursuing or wanting to learn something, you have to use your time wisely. Hmm. So you have to search out the data to see when you are most productive or the time that you have and you use it. So that's exactly what I applied when I was in university and when I started my CPA. I said, all right, Sarika, this time in our Terry, my son is in prep school because- Yeah, big boy, things are moving, your man, things are moving. <laughs> so girl finished university in three years. My son was four and now he's at Arden Prep. Number one tick. Wow. Remember, that's what I told the dean, you know. Yes. School. Yes. And so what used to happen now is that I used to take him to school by seven o'clock and then go to my job that started at 8 a.m. up Constant Spring. Yes. We live in downtown, you know. So we live in downtown Kingston. Come and all the way up. I come into New Kingston, drop off my husband at work. And then I took my son to school, drop him off at Arden Prep. And then I drove all the way to Constant, Constant Spring. Up, right? To my job. And every morning I got to work at 7.30 a.m. Why? Because the first hour before work starts at 8.30 a.m., I am going to study. So I had to wake up everybody early enough so I can go all the way to concert. To so use your time wisely. My time wisely. So for that first hour, I studied. And I tell you, Terry, my boss was not an easy boss. Mm-hmm. Couldn't slack off on our work. So I couldn't be stealing any time because at that job, you had to do what we call time sheets, which means for 8.30 to 4.30 every day, I had to, to write out exactly. Account, account for your time. Every single hour of the day. So I could not study, right, during those times. So I studied 7.30 to 8.30. And in my lunch time, I would ask somebody to buy my lunch because then I have to study for that one hour as well. And then buy my lunch and I would sit and I would study while I'm eating. And then when work ended at 4.30, you know, an accounting firm is very, very busy. So you hardly ever leave at 4.30. So I used to work up until 5.30, right, for the company. And then 5.30 to 6.30, I would study again. Then I leave at 6.30 and pick up my son because he used to have extra lessons and right. and after school program. So I used to pick him up now. So I used to be after pick him up like at 6.30. So I would study from say five to six. And, and then I leave. And pick him up. Pick him up at 6.30. They pick up my husband and go home. Then I would come home and then either me or my husband would probably make dinner, help him with his homework and then put him to bed. And then when he goes to bed, then I get another hour, usually between like 10 and 11.30. Nah, play. Nah, play. So I'm telling you, for me, that's why when people said to me, they always say, yes, but you're smart. I'm like, no, it's actually, I actually had to study. I actually had to work hard. And, you know, the smart thing is figuring out what your strengths are. And what works study. for you. I cannot study like a couple of days before exam. I have to be getting myself, you know, familiar with it. So girl, when I did that first exam, I'm ready now. <laughs> 
my first exam, right? So when the exam result come out, my first exam I did, my first CPA exam, my result, my grade was 96%. No, bro, bro. Master, no, man. What, what do you think? What do you think the persons who you studied with back in the day, high school, what do you think they would have said? Seeing you? I think anybody would have even dreamt that I would do this well academically, probably ex- except people who saw beyond who I thought I was. <laughs> I shocked myself because I'm like, okay, really and truly, no, this is not a fluke because a foreign people, mark this, these people don't know me. You know, me can't be so lucky if you randomly end up in the top five percentile, you know, for all these years. So it must be that I have something, you know, there's something in me that is coming out that is actually great. And Terry, it's that 18 month exam, that exam that you have to finish in 18 months, that people take five, 10 years to finish or probably don't even finish. Brutal man. I took 15 months. 15. 15 months. By the way, guys, that's why she's my accountant, because she's brilliant. I'm just saying, <laughs> let me just plug you right there. I'm just saying this is the reason why. <laughs> right? That's amazing. So what's going on in your head now? Because, I mean, I really just want to deal with the mental, the psychological, because we know that trauma and struggles don't just disappear. Poof, because of one golden apple or because of one employee of the, the month. Or, you know, you're, but you're seeing a manifestation that is so positive and that is so big, bigger than you, but you are the person creating this for yourself. Are you now saying, Ami? Um, <laughs> at this point is when I realize that, yes, Serika, you have greatness in you and it's not, and one of the things that my husband always said to me, there are two things that I always hang on to because my husband is always encouraging me to read. So he used to always buy me autobiographies. Mm-hmm. And the first autobiography I read, which was before I went to university, which actually was another thing that took me through university, was the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Yes. No, Frederick Douglass? Yes, ma'am. Right. So I read his autobiography and this one line stood out to me. And and right now, probably if you go on my Facebook page, it's like my tagline. It says, the only thing you own is what you know. And... You see that? That's a big speech. Huge thing for me. You know why? Because at that time, I felt like tangible things were beyond me. That I was not going to really own anything tangible. And what that said to me was what was important is that you can hold on to. It's actually what is inside. That is actually important. That's the only thing. And when I really looked at it, I was like, it's the only thing that no one can take away from you. They Amen. cannot take away like what you know. And it's not just school things that you apply to like academics. It's once you know who you are, hmm. that's the knowledge, you know. Once you know who you are, no one can steal that. Once you know something, once you learn something, it's something that people cannot take away from you. So I said to myself, I'm going to see knowledge. Hmm. Knowledge from an academic perspective, knowledge from just understanding life, from understanding self, 
from understanding just why we are here, <laughs> you know? And that is what is going to drive me and that is what I'm going to hold on to. So therefore, for me, tangible things are not very important. And this was, so, so this be, you became Sarika 3.0. Yes. So I asked my husband, like, I I don't shop a lot. So like shopping and clothes and a lot of shoes and whatever is not very That's important. not your priority. My priority is that I'm getting better at being me. I'm getting, I'm being a better person. I am positively impacting other people's life. Amen. So one way or the other. I'm just going to come in contact with you through my business or through charity. You are leaving away with a positive impact. I want, when I have a conversation with you, you leave, you feel a little bit better about yourself or you feel a little bit more comfortable. We don't even have to share anything personal, mm -hmm. you know, but just talking to you a level of respect, you know, you walk away feeling like this person made me feel Good. This person poured yeah. into me. This person's energy and vibe and positivity. I walk away feeling better. Period. Thank you so very much for listening to part one of my interview with Sarika Sterling right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. And you can find part two in the next episode.